Hello and welcome to the second episode of Me, Myself and Isla Lifting the Lid on Loneliness. I've known Carlin Pierpont for over 20 years. We worked in a bar called Number 10 together and she has always been a ball of energy and positivity. She's definitely not someone I would typically have expected to feel lonely at any point. And I guess that's the point of this series of podcasts. Carlin Pierpont is 44, proud mama to her 11-year-old son Aidan and co-parents with her ex-husband, with all of them now living in the Netherlands. In March 2020, while the world was going into lockdown because of COVID-19, Carlin faced the additional crisis of being diagnosed with breast cancer hundreds of miles away from her family and the majority of her friends. Carlin shared her experiences with open and honest updates on social media across the following two years, and I followed them from afar, in awe of her courage, but not surprised by it at all. Those who know Carolyn know how brave and inspiring she is when life gets difficult. For that reason, I was so grateful when Carolyn got in touch to say she'd be happy to talk about her experience of loneliness as a result of her cancer diagnosis in a new country and during a global pandemic. Whilst this is not the first episode of my podcast to be shared, it's the first one I recorded, and I was genuinely worried about not having the skills to do Carolyn's story justice. So if you can, Ignore me and the extra words and the ramblings and instead focus on Carlin's honesty and humour. I loved her advice to look for the dot on your horizon and create one if you don't have one. So keep an eye out for that. Listen, Carlin, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. So I don't know if this will be the first podcast that goes out but I can categorically tell you it's the first one that I'm going to record so it's scary but I could think of no one better to be doing this with thank you no thank you I'm I'm more privileged that uh, you've asked me although I did send a message say do you want to talk about my boobs (laughs) I think you were the first person to get back to me was over the moon so it's really good to see you and I guess for anyone that's listening I have known Carlin for over 20 years now we've worked together in a bar in Aberdeen for sure and (laughs) you will always be one of my sassiest most life-loving brilliant awesome friends for sure you're the epitome of someone who grabs life by the horns so I feel very lucky to have you on my podcast. And um, I would say, I think it's probably, and this is why I'm really glad to have heard from you, that I would definitely not have ever classed you as someone who would want to be on my podcast about loneliness and being alone. And I think that's the point of this podcast, I suppose, is yeah. that everyone does feel it. And we want to talk about it and, and show people that it's normal and share ideas of how to get by but for sure with the stereotype you for sure are the person that I would never have thought would have these feelings and I think your experience is for sure is different and powerful and you're going to tell us a little bit about why today yeah and I think that's a key thing as well that because I'm so outgoing and so happy all the time and positive that it's a different type of loneliness and I think it's really important to understand that there's not one loneliness there's so many different definitions of what what your um what you feel is lonely so I get that well thank you so much and like I say you were the first person to get back to me with the offer of joining me in the podcast and I don't mind saying I thought I'd maybe have a chance to ease myself in a little bit more and maybe have a more general conversation about loneliness with some of the counsellors that I'm lucky enough to work with so your story is really powerful and I worry most I don't do it justice today by being insecure and and 
new and naive in this world. But I'm really grateful to have the chance to talk to you about it and about your experiences of being alone and loneliness. So we have some questions. We're going to be honest about this today. We have some questions. If we need them, we might not need them, but we'll just go with the flow. And I think it's we should talk about this at the start as well. Like, don't go anywhere you don't want to go on this call, Carlin, if we get to a point where you're like, I'm not quite in that zone today or <laughs> that's a nerve, you know, say, you know, that's absolutely fine. Um, and yeah. this needs to be a safe space where we can talk about things. So, yeah. oh, Roger, I get that. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, why don't you tell me a little bit about why it is that you're joining this call today? Maybe give us a hint at some of your experiences of the past two years. Yeah, sure. So just um, at the beginning of 2020, I was um, in Dubai uh, working just like everybody else. Um, Heard that COVID was was, um, a thing, but it hadn't quite hit us in, in Europe yet. And because I was over in Dubai, it was starting to trickle through in uh, in that region. And I can remember thinking, gosh, this is actually becoming quite serious. And I think at that point, um, at the beginning of March, it was classed as a pandemic then <clears throat> when I was there. However, when I was in Dubai, I was actually having a shower like you do, and I found a lump in my breast. Um, and I thought that was a bit strange but didn't really think anything more of it until I was looking at my breasts in in the mirror and I was lifting my arm and I noticed that the the skin underneath my left nipple was puckering in, like sucking in. And I remember my mum, who was diagnosed with breast cancer over 30 years ago, had explained that her breast cancer, that's how she had found out, was because her nipple was uh, puckering in. So I was slightly worried then. um, And after things that happened in Dubai, I went back to the Netherlands and I was ready to fly to Aberdeen. I think I had a couple of days home and I was on the playground uh, picking up my son from school and I was chatting to some of the parents and I explained to some of the moms, because I'm not a mum that goes to the the playground. I'm always traveling and working hard. I was one of those mums. And that's okay. That's just the life that I, I chose. Yeah. Um, so whilst I was on the playground, they'd said to me, you need to go and get checked out. And I said, I haven't got the time because I'm about to go to Aberdeen uh, the next day. So I happened to leave the playground. I looked at my son and thought, just phone. So I phoned the GP. She actually had an appointment within an hour. So we jumped in the car, head to the, the GP. And she felt it. She says, yeah, it's definitely something. Um, what we'll do is we'll schedule you for a mammogram. I was 42 at that time. And uh, she says, you should get an appointment within a couple of weeks. So it was fine. Um, went off to Aberdeen and then I went down to London, had some time with the girls. Um, and as I arrived in, there was an announcement in Schiphol Airport where the women had said that all facilities will now be closed until further notice, uh, but drinking water was available. So, oh, that's good. And this is when COVID had hit Europe then. So it was the 16th of March. So on the 18th of March, my dates might not be uh, um, exact, but they're about two days later then, I got in and I went to the GP again and she says, right, you go to the MRI. So I went for an MRI and that was on the Monday and on the Wednesday then, um, everything had closed, flights stopped, shops closed, everything was closed. Um, at this point, I don't think we were wearing masks at that time. 
And I went in, I think I was, I just went for a jog, got changed, was still in my gym gear. And I went to the hospital and the nurse had said to me, is there anybody with you? And I was like, well, no. She says, do you have a translator? And I says, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. Because they, they, uh, the Dutch speak really good English. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the doctor and his surgeon spoke English as well. But she says, so have you got nobody for support? Well, why would I need anybody for support? Surely you're just going to tell me it's a fatty lump or it's calcifications and it's nothing serious. And then she says, well, the oncologist is going to be with you. And I thought at that point, oh, shit. Okay, mm-hmm. this is really quite serious then. Um, and she says, well, the breast cancer nurse will come in first. And I looked at her and says, the breast cancer nurse? She says, oh, uh, I'll, I'll get you a glass of water. And then she left. I thought, okay. There was a lot of mist in translation as well. Um, there's a lot of Dutch words um, that are used that aren't words that we would necessarily use in English or maybe not so direct. So the oncologist came in with the breast cancer nurse and he looked at me and he says, well, Mrs. Toshney, um, it's bad news. You have breast cancer. And that was it. I looked at him and I went, sorry, can you say that again? He says, you have breast cancer. And I just, yeah, I, I, it's a difficult feeling to explain, but I just thought I was going to be sick there and then. And I looked at her and said, you've got a, a, a plastic bag. Maybe I'm a bit too posh to puke in front of people. <laughs> he says, you can use this bowl. I was like, no, can I get a bag, please? But yeah, anyway. Um, He's, I said to him, just keep talking, just just keep talking. How bad is it? it, it you know, am I going to die? And they, at this stage, we didn't know. So he drew a picture of a horizontal line and right in the middle, vertical line. And on the left side, he shared with me the pre-cancer cells, which is what they call DCIS, one, two, three, and then breast cancer stage one, two, three. He says, we think you're stage three, of pre-cancer, but it could be possible that you could be at stage one. That's what we've seen so far. So from there, um, yeah, because the whole world had stopped, um, I'm a a single mum with then uh, a nine-year-old. School's finished, I'm homeschooling, I'm still working. I'm being poked and prodded with lumps in my breast and being told I had breast cancer. Some of the nurses in the hospital didn't speak any English, so it was really difficult to to translate. I couldn't have any Dutch colleagues come with me to translate anything. Um, so I was literally alone. <laughs> my brother, you know, he, he lives down in, in France and my mom's in Scotland, so I, I had nobody. So after that, it was a whirlwind of MRIs. Um, and then thankfully, I'm very blessed to have a, a colleague that was allowed to come with me because I didn't speak Dutch. Um, so she came along with me and we went for the MRI results and it came back that there was something found in the right breast as well. So she said, the breast cancer nurse had said to us then, so the, the option is to, to go back for an MRI. Uh, you lie in the machine for maybe about an hour, an hour and a half. We'll stick this massive needle into your right breast for an hour, an hour and a half, and then, <laughs> then we'll see if there's cancer in the right breast. My Dutch colleague said, what's plan B? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, no way. I said, there's no way I'm going back into an MRI machine to be poked and prodded again. Um, I, I want the option to have both breasts removed. So I knew at this point I was having the left breast removed. Okay. And she'd said, no, there, it's, it's not possible. I said, well... 
It's, it's going to have to be possible. So she said she would speak to the oncologist, oncologist and get back to me. So that was kind of the first stage. And still at this point, we didn't know whether the cancer had spread or, or what stage it was at. So I just went back to the COVID life that we were all going through, staying indoors. We weren't allowed out unless we wanted to exercise. So that's the only time I could take my son out. Um, so we would go out a run and, and one of my runs, the oncologist had called. So I said to my son, listen, why don't you, because he was on a scooter, um, why don't you go and do some tricks up here and when we'll take this call. So I was having to juggle him not knowing what was going on. Um, we told him that mommy's breasts were sick. But we didn't tell him the extent because I didn't know. And telling a child that you have cancer is difficult. And telling a child living by yourself that you have cancer and that he might lose his mum is even more difficult. Mm-hmm. So he um, he would go and play, and I spoke to the oncologist and just that you know I hear you want to have both your breasts off, and they weighed up. In fact, my mother and her sister have breast cancer. It was possible it was genetic. Um, he said it's not uh, a mitigating thing. It's not that if we remove the right breast, it's going to stop anything. It, it, it's not going to change the diagnosis. That was his words. I says, no, but for me, it's preventative. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, you take it out, then it's unlikely it'll come back on that side. And then I've less worry for the rest of my life. So I had to go and see a psychologist to make sure I wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I wasn't making a rash decision and that I was um, fully focused on this is what I wanted. So I saw her and she agreed that um, I was fully focused. It wasn't a rash decision. I, I thought it through thoroughly within a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the diagnosis on the 30th of 31st of March, I had both breasts removed on the 29th of April. So literally four weeks later, I was in hospital having my breast removed. And that was really hard. Um, I wasn't allowed visitors. Um, I had nobody really? to take me in because of COVID. Nobody was um, the first operation I had to get the lymph nodes checked and then the second operation was the, the double mastectomy. Thankfully, my Dutch colleague had said that I can stay with her for four weeks. So I entered their bubble um, because I couldn't lift my arms. I couldn't bathe myself. Um, for me, loneliness, loneliness kicked in when I was sitting in a garden chair in her shower, whilst my colleague, who I'd only known for two years, was washing me. That for me was the epitome of loneliness. Yeah. Um, no wonder, Carlin. Yeah. I had to have somebody else having to, to wash you um, in such a vulnerable state. It, it was quite depressing. Um, but you know, interestingly, before we started our call, we were we were talking um, about like mental health and, and strength and, and physical health as well. When I heard the news that I had breast cancer, for me, the most important part of this process, I felt, was to make sure that my mental health was in shape mm-hmm. um, to prepare me for the unknown and, and what was coming up. I knew I was going to get surgery. I knew there was possibilities of chemo, um, possibilities of radiotherapy and just really tough, dark days. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to a friend of mine uh, or a colleague in Aberdeen and his wife was a yoga instructor. And she'd said, 
um, that there's a, an app to download and you can do meditating, you can do courses, you can do mindfulness, gratitude. So I did the whole lot. <laughs> I literally did everything. I did a journal that I wrote in pretty much every day. Um, I decided that any dark days I had, I would use the middle of my journal to write things down. And things like, I don't want to die. I don't want to be um, leaving my son alone. I don't have cancer. I'm too young for this shit. Um, why me? All those things, the, the dark things. Um, the normal but, things as well, though. If we're it is normal. And that's the yeah. thing. It's normal to think about these things. Um, and I would take this journal in the hospital and... Yeah, it, and even now, I think it's it's on my bedside cabinet. And um, so it was it, this app that I used really helped me to to strengthen my mind. Um, and it helped a lot. It really helped a lot. But having to stay with this couple for four weeks, that that was hard. That was really hard. But gosh, if I didn't have them, yeah, I think things would have been much, much more difficult. So, um, and thankfully, my, my ex-husband, he's, he's in uh, the Netherlands as well. So he was able to, to take my son, but it affected him. You know, nine, 10 years old, um, your mom going in and out of hospital, it, it really affected him. So, yeah, yeah. of course, like, it's just so much. Like, if you break it down into what you just said, most of us were really struggling with the loneliness and isolation that came from... COVID-19 and being put into lockdown wherever in the world you're in a relatively new city relatively speaking for you and then you get the news that you have breast cancer and I just can't really imagine how difficult those three things together would have been. I think as well um, on top of that for me I was constantly in the hospital so I I was getting at the house so it wasn't I was in four walls and stuck into the house. I was allowed out the house and into the hospital. So my human contact was with the medical profession. So I did have contact with people and, you know, my hotel stays were actually hospital stays. So it was like, where people were enjoying maybe a weekend away pre-COVID, I was enjoying a weekend away in the hospital, getting hospital food, which... Bed and breakfast is the way I, I was trying to see it. So I was just trying to find the humor side of things, you know. And But it was interesting because I remember my, my first night in the ward, I had a Chinese guy next to me. I had some Polish women across from me. She didn't speak one word of English. He didn't speak one word of English. The Polish woman would constantly be on her phone, screaming and shouting down. I thought, well, this is entertainment. So I'm not always alone but yeah it was um I had a lot of characters in so although I was in the hospital um it wasn't fully alone but then I was and I had all the technology yeah and I was still keeping in touch with friends I was still very vocal on my social media but that that was the only kind of outlet uh, outlet sorry to keep in touch with people I was gonna say because social media depending who you talk to and it's either this amazing thing that keeps us all connected or it's the devil and it's the reason that everything's wrong in the world just now. And I think the answer is somewhere in the middle, probably depends what you're using it for and who's using it, but you used it in my experience. I feel like you used that very well to connect with people and share your story. Then did it work? Is that why you were doing that? Did you feel that you got connections with people through that? Was that your way of coping or? 
Yeah, I think um, both actually. It was a way of coping. And for me also, it was the way for me to connect with people because, um, you know, the people that I was surrounding myself with or I had no choice to surround myself with didn't necessarily always speak English. So it was good just to maybe post a picture to say, hey, everyone, this is what's going on in today's hospital visit. And, um, you know, I get three, four hundred comments on some of my posts and it's like oh wow lots of people talk to you this is great <laughs> and I took it more from a, a positive perspective but even it's funny even now um, I'll post and maybe not get that 300 400 but I don't really care um, for me it was literally just to say hey I've got breast cancer and this is what's going on with it um, and I think just after I'd posted the video to, to say to people or to announce to Facebook that I have breast cancer because I mean it's very difficult to tell people that mm -hmm. and some people don't want to tell people and that's fine but I'm glad I did because I've actually saved two people's lives because there's two females that I know who didn't want to go to the doctor they were too scared because they found lumps and because I was posting my journey they mm -hmm. saw how quick I was getting seen to and, and what the process was Thankfully, they did go when they did because one was at stage two and the other was stage one. Um, oh my goodness! So for me, then it kind of turned more into awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so twofold. I was, I guess, I was using the the outlet for. Yeah. Um, and it was good because I could video call sometimes as well on private messages, and some people would private message and ask how things were. Um, so it was nice. It was a, a good way to keep in touch with people. Oh, you did it so well. And actually, like, so apparently with podcasts, you have to research before you talk to people. And so I had to research <laughs> you and researching you as a friend was a bit strange because it just felt like I was stalking and scrolling through your feeds. But you, I learned so much about what you had been through and I appreciate it was what you were comfortable to share on Facebook and that there was way, way more to it than those posts. But like, I really went through again and just saw what you had been through and the obstacles that you came along and how you faced them and they just like I'm so proud of you and I, I know that's a crazy thing to say as well because you'd rather have not gone through any of those things but I hope it's like I hope you can take that as I mean I'm so proud of yeah. you and, no, and the, the fact that your honesty literally saved two lives and that's that you know of mm -hmm. um that's really a big thing like you can't people talk about turning or, or doing something good out of something so bad and crikey did you do that yeah because the, the the breast cancer itself my journey was everybody's journey is different when it comes to breast cancer some women get chemo some just have a lump removed some have one breast removed some have two I think my oncologist said there was 120 different combinations of treatment that you can get with breast cancer um, because I questioned as well, why didn't I get chemo? Why don't I get radiotherapy? And why am I not on hormone pills? But my diagnosis was under two centimeters. I had three tumors in my breast. There was no lymph node involvement. There was no spread. There was nothing. But what happened with me was after the breasts were removed, you go through this reconstruction phase um, of your chest. And if you can imagine your breast tissue, which is just like fatty lumps, like chicken fillets being taken out, mm -hmm. and you're left with this excess skin. They have to remove the skin and then put in what I class as water balloons. And then every two weeks, I'd have to go back into hospital and get like this freaking six inch needle stuck in my new breasts 
and they would inject. I, I, I did message to say if you wanted to see the video. Oh, I do want to see the video. Send me it. Send it to you. Because um, it's fascinating. It sounds horrendous, but it's oh, fascinating. Okay. But they inject um, gel into these water balloons so okay. your chest expands and it stretches the skin. Okay. And what this does then, after six months, you can then get the water balloons removed and then you get your implants put in. But it's not implants like when women get their breasts enhanced because mm-hmm. I have no breast tissue for them to look upright. So it's it's a similar but slightly different process. But the right side um, failed twice. So I had to go back into surgery two times because the implant or the water balloon, as I call it, was actually protruding through my chest. And you could see it. You could see this black dot and the black dot was getting bigger. So I was in the emergency room multiple times and then eventually they just took me into theater, removed it, put it back in. And after the, the second failure, um, my plastic surgeon had said to me, there's only one option and it was to remove my lap muscle. So literally the muscle they used to do chin-ups, they had to remove it or slice it wrap it underneath my arm and attach it to my chest wall and that was and use a skin graft from my back in order to make a shape of a breast so that was a I think I was in the hospital for about nine hours under the knife getting oh that oh my goodness done. that's just such a big operation on yeah. top of everything else yeah exactly and then the funny thing is before I went into the operation I looked at my plastic surgeon because I've known him now for two years I said to him, can you do me a favor? I've got um, a brand new tattoo down the spine of my back and it's beautiful. I had it beautifully designed by a friend of mine. Um, I only had it done maybe four years ago. And he says, what, you've got a tattoo on my back? I was like, well, you're so busy looking at my boobs that you've never looked at them. <laughs> so, you know, it was just a bit of humor. And he's like, no, okay. So they did save my tattoo. He didn't cut it off, but it, now it's, so it was like this. It's now slightly to the side. So, good um, on, well done you for asking good on him for doing that and that is maybe yeah. like a mark of what you've been through yeah yeah well yeah well the story's getting even funnier but anyway after that operation you know things started going really well but you know he did say to me you won't be able to do chin-ups anymore and I'm like well okay <laughs> no loss <laughs> yeah not that I've been able to ever do them but, um so after that then um yeah, that was that operation. And then um, I found a lump under my left arm. Again, another lump. And at this point, again, everything, I'm doing this all by myself. Driving myself to the hospital, going to my appointments, because again, nobody was allowed in with you. And even at this point, nobody was allowed to fly over from uh, Scotland to... I forget that, because I know, not to butt in, but I know how close you are with your mum and your family there. And that must have been so hard for you all. Yeah, it was really difficult. And also my mom's in her 70s. So having to look after your daughter at that age, I mean, yeah, I'm a mom, I would do anything for my child, but having her travel and possibly get COVID, at that time, there was still no vaccines. We were still up in the air with what was mm-hmm. going on with the vaccines. So it was just not plausible to have her come over. So um, yeah, I find this lump and the next I knew, they told me that, yeah, maybe your breast cancer isn't the primary cancer. Maybe that was secondary. And maybe you've got cancer in your brain or your lungs or your liver. I was just like, are you kidding me? And I was just distraught. I thought, this can't be happening to me. Mm-hmm. 
And I kid you not, I, I'd lost a shitload of weight. I didn't realize how much weight I'd lost with the nerves and everything until I saw a photo just uh, a couple of months ago. But that was the my lowest point. Uh, that was my lowest point. And I think I even posted on Facebook. I was going for my results. And I was really holding back the tears. I felt so sick because I had to go for um, a PET scan and a CT scan. And then I had to go for a second CT scan in my chest area. Um, and I, I remember just kind of stumbling through the door at the, the hospital. And she did, the, my breast nurse knew. She looked at me and she went, you're okay. There's nothing. Don't worry. There's no and I just literally fell to the floor and I, and she can't cuddle me. They're not allowed to hold me neither because of COVID. So literally even sitting on the floor crying to myself. Um, but yeah, I was just so blessed that it was nothing. And as it turned out, the lump was to do with, because of my exercising, it was to do with the muscle nodule. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd seen something underneath my arm, but it was nothing. It turned out to be absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So they, I had to go in and have uh, another lymph node removed and it came back benign. Um, but yeah, it, it was just hurdle after hurdle after yeah. hurdle. And then the seventh operation I think I had was to have my nipples created. Who knew? Because I had breast cancer. Uh, it was underneath my nipples. So I had both my nipples removed. And as part of the reconstruction, um, they create your nipples. But you don't go under the knife for it. It's local anesthetic. So I'm lying on the the operating table with my plastic surgeon making nipples. It was like he was doing some kind of sewing job. (laughs) (laughs) Only you can turn it into a story like this. This is why you're great. Yeah. And the thing is, is, he says, I had to wear these um, foam coverings and he cut a circle out of them to stick my new nipples through. (laughs) And I was just like, you could... um, take a coat hanger and, and hang your jackets on my, <laughs> my new nipples. I thought, this is freaking awesome. So not only have I gone from a, I think I was a double D cup, but my breast pointed south. I've gone to a nice, beautiful C cup that stick up the way with these pointy nipples. I thought, I've got porn star breasts after all this. <laughs> that is a silver lining of a kind. I think probably only you can say that, but for sure yeah. that is a win at the end of it for you. Yeah, you need to find the humour, because I I think that there's two ways you can go. And uh, something I was talking about with my final um, procedure that I had today, and uh, the the guy who did it um, had said to me that, you know, there's not many women that come through the doors that are so positive. And I'd said to him, well, I think you you can make a choice. Some some of us don't have that choice, but thankfully with my genetics, I was able to make the choice and, and strengthen my mind before this journey. Um, yeah, to, to, to be strong and be mm-hmm. positive because I'm alive. Mm-hmm. I take every day as it comes. It's true what they say. You really need to just wake up in the morning and say, thanks for letting me wake up this morning and just get on with your day. And then before you go to sleep, yeah, thank you for my day. It was amazing. And that's such, just, yeah. just such an inspiration, Chica. Like that's such a good message for everyone. And it's like, if you can say that, then I think any of us can say that. And I actually saw you mentioned a few times in this podcast your friend is it Charlotte? Is Charlotte, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, a lot of fun. I've, I've seen your videos with her on your way to appointments and her singing away in the background. Like she looks like she has obviously been such a support for you. Yeah, she was amazing, and she still is. She was, she really was my rock. You know, she named my breast Shanae and Nene. So that was the joke. That Nene was very sick during the journey. 
Shanae is now fine, but the girls, we, we call them the girls as well. They're now ladies. Uh, so I had my final procedure today with the ladies. Charlotte couldn't make it with me today um, for my procedure, but I had my, the, the areolas and the coloring tattooed on today by a, a tattoo artist. I feel privileged that we've got to talk to you on a day like that. So today was the end of all the procedures, touch wood, no oh. more breast procedures. So uh, yeah, I phoned my mum today. Yeah, I phoned her this morning and I said, Mom, I'm way to go and get some tattoos today. And like, Why are you away to go and get tattoos? I always get tattoos. <laughs> so I'm way to get my nipples done. <laughs> get them on Facebook. Are you going to get them on Facebook as part of your journey? Yeah, I'll probably get Facebook jail for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no Facebook. Listen, you don't understand. These are the important ones. Yeah, my nipples tattooed. So, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I did say to him, can I get maybe some stars or, yeah, spider web, <laughs> one for normal, normal, normal nipples. Normal for now. You can always go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go back in two months' time, he says, if I want something different. So. <laughs> I've got, you kind of, you touched on something earlier. Um, and it's something that I've read a lot about as well in terms of when you have a serious illness and you obviously have a really close relationship with the doctors and the nurses that are seeing you through and you've already said actually they're probably some of the main relationships you had because we weren't allowed to see anyone else because of COVID was it difficult for you like coming out of their care and obviously it's really great news when you get told that that's you you know we'll see you in three months or six months but like was that quite difficult not having the security of those relationships anymore yeah actually it's a really good point because pre-cancer you know you have your life your friends and and you've got that contact and then when you find out you're plunged into a whole new world that the oncologist breast cancer nurse and plastic surgeon team are literally your family um, and you're seeing them pretty much two, three times a month, um, regardless whether it's appointments or operating table. And then there's a thing called life after cancer. And that's that point that you talked about that I was kind of discharged from hospital. And he said to me, because all the procedures have been done, I was only waiting for my nipples to be <laughs> tattooed on. Um, and he's like, well, we'll see you maybe sometime next year. And it was just a bit of a surreal feeling. I was like, oh, this is going to be weird not, not coming here so often because yeah. it was just constant. And I must admit, and I, don't, I, I didn't see it at the time, but I got depressed. I got really depressed. And I started drinking probably way more than I should have done um and I was binge drinking then wine because it yeah it, it's just what I did and I plunged a little bit into the the crying and I've, I've got videos on my phone some dark videos and I hate admitting it but I was depressed I was so depressed mm-hmm. um, no wonder I didn't have any anybody then um but I had no routine yeah. and that was that was a thing. Yeah. My routine was the hospital. Yeah. So, and then I had no work. Um, I wasn't part of a gym mm-hmm. because I couldn't. So I had no routine. So it, apart from, you know, get my, my son up for, for school, that was it. So I kind of lost myself a little bit. I yeah. lost a little bit of who I was um, and what I was doing in life. No wonder. Because again, 
people were struggling with a watered down version of that all across the world because they didn't have jobs or weren't at work or they're working at home and not seeing anyone. But you had that on top of the trauma that you had just been through. And I suppose taking away no future dates for going to see the doctors and things, which is great but also I was you just probably a feeling of comfort that things like that's cool I'm back there in four weeks now so I'll get to see them then and I can touch base for them so no wonder if you didn't have yeah. any of these things there was no dot on the horizon yeah not even with so I'd I'd gone back to work as well I went back to work in the June because I completely came off work and I was signed off so I started in June, but then there was a break and I had to go back to the hospital in August. September is when I started full time, but that's when they signed me off. But even then, I'd started a new job. I was no longer working from the Aberdeen office, although living in um, Rotterdam. I was now working for, a, I had a brand new job, brand new people, brand new things to, to learn. Um, we weren't in the office, so I had no office work. So Although everybody had gotten used to Teams or Zoom, this is all new to me, mm-hmm. no introduction. Yeah, it was just all new, but I didn't know anybody. These are new colleagues and I'm like, I don't have a relationship like what I did with the team in Aberdeen who we would have like quiz nights and there was nothing like that. So I had nothing, no routine or anything. And I think it was up until Christmas my son went with my ex-husband and again I was by myself for Christmas apart from my mom had sent me over the Santa Claus which was maybe 10 inches tall so I stuck him at the other side of the table and pretended I was having dinner with oh, Christmas Carlin. <laughs> that was fun but then I, I was uh, I tested positive for COVID I was really sick so <laughs> so I went through the COVID shit after that but anyway so the point of me telling you this was I I really hit rock bottom yeah. and even then my partner had said to me that he was worried for my health he said my body is trying to um get back to the way it was and it's fighting really hard and my immune system really needs strength but because I've been drinking so much wine um he was worried and I, I get that now I can see that now at the time I couldn't see it so we uh, we went away for New Year, because I think that was my 10-day incubation period or whatever from COVID. So we went down to Chamonix to save my brother. And uh, yeah, I think it was about five o'clock in the morning. My partner and I had quite a few drinks at New Year. We're celebrating. And I signed up for an Ironman. <gasps> Just took my laptop out and said, right, I'm going to do it. So, so I signed up for a half Ironman um, in August. And you know what? The following day, I kind of woke up and it was like I had that dot on my horizon then. It yeah. gave me something to look forward to. So since then, since uh, the 1st of January, I enrolled in uh, training. I've got a, a new trainer. I've um, went and bought a brand new bike. I've started swimming. I've started cycling. I do spinning because I'm able to do it now because my health is back up. Yeah. Dry January came off to get my body back into a routine of mm-hmm. not drinking um and just totally turn things around so I spend my days now running cycling swimming and I'm back to work and now I know my colleagues and I'm in a routine good oh I have that routine that whole um piece between leaving the hospital and uh, December I uh, sorry New Year's that was the the darkest days but that's now behind me but I can understand how people can maybe get into that that downward spiral so yeah. quickly and it just hits you 
It's not something that knocks on your door saying, hey, you're going to be depressed tomorrow. It just happens to the best of You just of woke it. up and you realised that's what you were feeling. Was it just all of a sudden, the build-up it might have been, but you just really noticed it one day? Yeah, and I didn't realise it happened to me. And I've seen psychologists and psychiatrists through this whole journey and spoken to people and I've been really open and I am open and I'm generally a really happy person. Mm -hmm. Just like yourself, you know, I'm generally really happy and yeah. generally just positive all the time that this really hit me, this life after cancer. And I heard about it, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's not going to happen to me because I'm too happy. But no, it did. It, it really did. So... um but yeah, I've turned things around. And I think that's that routine was key for me. Yeah, I work in, like you said, some things that I feel like were really important there. Like, because I'll ask you, you know, before we finish, what tips do you have for someone else? But I feel like when you said the dot on the horizon, like I felt from the way you were talking, the difference that that had made. Yeah. And just having something like a goal or something to look forward to, something that you could train by, something that actually might also get you out and about and talking to other people as part of your training for it, you know, so maybe not in your situation, but for someone else that wanted to take up a challenge, then like join a running group, join training, something like that. It gets you part of a community again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and although the, I'm not part of um like a training group at the moment mm -hmm. but I'm enjoying because I like my own company and that's something I, I wanted to mention to you because I feel yeah. that the definition of being lonely and being alone yeah although so I'm alone doesn't mean that I'm lonely because one thing I have learned throughout this whole journey of being alone um is that I have been able to get to know me and understand what I want my needs and not feeling lonely and actually enjoying my own company that's really good it yeah. is true isn't it it's so different yeah and I, you know my 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 son goes to his dad every wednesdays and every second weekend and i love him being around he's like my best chum but equally on a wednesday evening when he goes it's like okay i'm gonna make myself a mistake i'm gonna watch uh, love is blind or love island or something <laughs> early <laughs> my feet up and then I'm going to go to bed and really enjoy my own company or read a book or go out and run or go a walk or yeah just do something for me or even <laughs> you deserve that for sure you deserve that and just going back to what you said about routine as well like did, how did that just kind of happen naturally or did you have to work at creating a routine did you did you see that's what you were missing so you started to build one or did it naturally just come back and yeah, I think um, it didn't actually come back. I had to work at it, yeah. to be honest with you, um, because I hadn't, hadn't been able to run for some time because of the impact I had on my chest. Mm -hmm. Swimming was just a no-go area, but I thought, you're just going to have to suck it up and put your big girl pants on. And I walked, <laughs> I walked into the swimming pool, and there was no signs to say where the pool was. Oh, my God. I went into the changing rooms, into this Dutch swimming pool, got my, my swimsuit on and the guy said to me you can't leave your stuff in the, the changing rooms you have to take it into the pool with you so I'm like, okay so I had my swimming costume on all my bags in my flip-flops and I'm like what's the pool I couldn't I couldn't find the pool I ended up in the sports hall I went out the fire exit just cruising around in the back of the swimsuit so I saw these Dutch ladies and I was like uh 
swim in bed. And I think I said, swim in bed. And they looked at me and I was like, swimming pool. I haven't even got my mobile phone to do Google Translate right now. And they looked at me and then they pointed to another door and I went through that door. And that's what pushed me through the fire exit then. And I ended up outside. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> in your most vulnerable state, in your swimming costume, in your flip Yeah. And I remember I was walking along, speaking to myself, going, how could I cry here? I can't cope with this. This is oh, shit. Like, oh, pod, for God's sake, you just had breast cancer. You can do this. And I'm like, it's just a swimming pool. So I'm walking along and thinking, what a dickhead I must look. So, <laughs> anyway, as it turned out, I was literally next to the exit to go into the swimming pool, but it just looked like an opening to another changing room. So, yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah. Do you know what? I can't even remember what got us to that story now. No, me neither. Oh, I was like, what we're talking you? about structure, and you had to oh, work yeah. on structure. <laughs> so that, that was my first time in a swimming pool. So I literally, because I was flustered and upset, dumped my stuff. I had just jumped in the pool. I hadn't swam, yeah, since um, Aidan and I went on holiday, and even then I couldn't do anything. But I started swimming. I'm like, oh, this is really good. I can do front crawl. And, and that was it. And mm-hmm. it just it happened. Running, I had to really push ahead. Um, I I hired a spin bike to the house because you can do that here. Mm-hmm. So I hired one for like six months and I just jumped on it, chucked something on YouTube and, and off I went. And that was it. Just kept working at it. And now it's if I don't do a, a spin session or a run, I'm, I feel really guilty because I know that I've only 26 weeks to this Ironman. That I know I have to train for it. Oh my goodness, I'm so proud of you. That's amazing. And I feel like now is a good time to say, because you're not new to the world of big sporting challenges. Like you've ran marathons before, haven't you? You ran the London marathon, um, didn't you? Yeah, London. I've only done the one though. I'm not quite up to, to your marathon status. So just, just the one. I did one and that was me. I'm like, I'll never do that again. I, I couldn't walk the next day. Oh. I walked the following two weeks, I think. You were amazing. You're the reason. So you ran it properly. I run marathons in the slowest speed ever, but I, you're absolutely one of the people that inspired me to do it because you did it for an amazing cause and you just looked like you breezed it. And I'm sure you didn't because no human really breezes a marathon. But you definitely inspired me to do that all those years ago. So I'm not really surprised to hear you talking about doing an Ironman Challenge now, but given what you've just been through, it's just like, wow, you go girl. That's amazing. Yeah, and do you know the funny thing is I'm not doing it for anyone. Like what I did last yeah. time, last charity stuff I did, I gave my life to that 10 years and I'm not going to do that again. So I'm doing this for me. That's Absolutely, yeah. Just for me. And that's not selfish or cocky. It just, yeah, after going through such um, yeah traumatic time and then the whole COVID, it's just like let's live life and just go for it. So no. they'll be scooping me up at the end probably but I'm not caring <laughs> you'll be scooping them up Carla you're made of tough stuff you're going to crush this I know you will and so when is it again August did you say August 28th I'm doing it in Austria um in Zelmzee 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 okay um because when I looked at it it looked all flat Austria it's not flat <laughs> and then the next morning <laughs> I looked at it I went oh it's hilly <laughs> so yeah we'll see how we get on but thankfully Maybe we have a wee hip flask with you just a wee wine every now and then I know you're cutting back on wine but well the funny thing is you know I'm in a country that's so flat so I have no idea where I'm going to train for hills like the Dutch oh. the are like the flattest country in the world oh <laughs> yeah I never even thought on that and yeah you cannot train for hills and then you're going to get a nasty shock in the day but You'll be fine. 
You knew it was coming. <laughs> Made of real stuff. Oh, Jesus. So, no, I'll, there, there are hills south of the border. Thankfully, France isn't too far, so we can, I can maybe go for a weekend and get Run it. to France. No, run to France, yeah, and cycle up. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, listen, it's been so good talking to you, Carolyn. Like, I'm aware of time. I think we set ourselves a certain amount of time for this. I honestly can't tell you how grateful I am that you like joined me for this call tonight because it's scary doing something like this, like a podcast, but it pales in comparison, embarrassingly pales to going through big life events. And I feel so humbled that I've been able to talk to you about this tonight. Seriously, I'm really grateful that you told your story. I know people will get comfort from it. I know they obviously mm-hmm. already have through your social posts and the way you've communicated the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really brave of you to talk about the loneliness aspect. Um, and I guess just to sum up, and I think we've probably covered it already, like what advice do you have for anyone who's feeling lonely right now, whether it's because of a serious illness or because in you know life in general? Is there like any parts, one bit of advice, a few small bits that you would want to pass on? Firstly, is recognizing that it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. And recognizing those feelings um, because you're not alone. <laughs> You're definitely not alone. Yes. Even the most happiest of us can feel like that. And, and then secondly, I think the most important piece is um, find that dot on your horizon like we spoke. That's all I needed. I just needed that dot. As extreme as what mine is, it's just setting that 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 kind of midterm goal in life. Mm-hmm. And then what another um, tip I had and that I was given is that there's three goals you can give to yourself short-term goals, mid-term goals, and a long-term goal. And, and to write it down is really important, I think, writing it down. But certainly for me, that dot on the horizon and finding what that dot is for you is, is equally important and recognising that it's okay not to be okay. I really like that because it really is okay to feel lonely. And I I I know that already before I've even spoken to half of my guests. Um, but it's just a feeling that we all have and we have it for very different reasons and... You have definitely been through some tricky stuff. So you have felt it for some quite unique feelings. But the good thing is that you have obviously helped other people not feel alone by sharing your story. And I think by you having these podcasts, it's really good to show people that it's not just one thing that makes it lonely. There's magnitude and multitude of situations that people feel lonely regardless whether it is a cancer or like you were saying earlier a job or losing a job or family or marriage you know it's a whole magnitude of things it's not one simple thing and uh, yeah it's 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 easy to go down a a rabbit hole but it's it's equally good to get yourself built back up and and get that dot on the horizon but it's good to talk about it and not bottle it up so I love that (laughs) with what Sometimes that's hard, talking about it. I agree, because I think with loneliness as well, because we were talking before we joined this podcast this evening, I won't go into detail too much, not like, well, I felt a little bit lonely this Christmas, and it took me a wee while to work out what the feeling actually was. Mm -hmm. And then when I realised what it was, I was like embarrassed, and I didn't want to say to my friends, oh, I feel a bit lonely, I feel a bit alone, but everyone feels it. Everyone feels Mm -hmm. it, and it's just not talked about enough. We really need to start talking about it because people are feeling bad for no reason. And it's just it's just normal. No, and I think this is great what you're doing. It really is just overwhelmingly great. So 
Oh, it's really, really amazing that you're doing this. Well, thank you, gorgeous girl. Thank you for letting me do it. And we should end on the high of everyone going and picking their dot on the horizon and celebrating the fact that you got nipples to chew today, which is absolutely brilliant. Nipples it, today. Yeah. <laughs> I would you, show you, but it, it's not a <laughs> That takes us to a different rating <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Let's end on our last. It has been so lovely. Honestly, Carlin, thank you so much for everything. And I look forward to seeing how you get on with your Ironman competition later on this year. Thank you. Bye.